Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. This is your host, Alejandro Rojas. And as usual, I am joined by my buddy, Martin Willis. Yay! I'm not Martin something Willis. I'm Martin Willis. Well, that's cool. Oh, you sound... That's actually... Bummed out, disappointed. Well, I I can't go anywhere with that. Yeah. Okay, how about uh, Martin... um, I don't know. You know, I'm actually at a loss. Isn't that, yeah, for the first time, I'm at a loss what to uh, nickname you there. It must be because we hung out together last weekend. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Last weekend, we were in New York uh, together at Long Island, in uh, to be specific, around Lake Lake Ronkonkoma. Well, of course, the listeners know that because they heard that. But That's uh, right. You're getting better at pronouncing it, too. Oh, really? I think I screwed it up there. Well, I think you're supposed to say it like that. Sounds oh, right. Wow. I stumbled onto that then. But, uh, yeah, so we were out there for Lee's wedding, Lee Spiegel's wedding, which was wonderful. So that was a lot of fun, huh? It was a blast. And uh, the after after party stuff was good, too. Really you, good. You, yeah. you got home all right, apparently. I, I did, yeah. To no electricity. We've been without electricity until just... Just the other day, we got hit by a uh, a nor'easter as two years ago. Same thing happened in October, and it just knocked trees down everywhere. Really, something. Really, yeah, I heard you had some weather. So, and so, how many days were you out of power? That sounds like a long time. I think it was four four days. And uh, wow. boy, I tell you, you really appreciate it when it's back on. And let me tell you that. And um, you know, no, I can't call out of this you know area or anything. So it was really. Uh, you know, like the old days, man, we hauled water from the ocean. (laughs) No, sir. No, really did. Yeah. Really? Oh my gosh. Using the bathrooms. Yes. How close are you to the ocean? I'm right on it. You are. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. I'd love to visit where you are sometime. If that's all right. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I invited (laughs) uh, Karen. I told Karen, come along. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have to do that at some point. That would be wonderful. I've really never seen um, Maine at all, I don't think. Well, I hope you like lobsters. I've been to most states. I do like lobsters. They're my buddies. Mm. Wow. There's a lot of them here. Yep. They're cool. Lobstermen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, them I'm not as fond of Mm, because I like the lobsters. So, the lobster massacre is... uh, it's not. It's something I'm as excited about. Yeah. I don't touch <laughs> the stuff. <laughs> All right. So uh, our show today, we've got a great show. And uh, this is the week of the movie Witness of Another World. And I say that because 
there are a few people interviewing people uh, related to this movie uh, because it's coming out this week, and so they've been promoting it. And I am interviewing uh, today the director, Alan Stivelman. Uh, he's an Argentinian filmmaker who's put together this piece, and um, it's about a spectacular close encounter case witnessed by a gaucho, uh, which is kind of a cowboy, I guess, name for someone in, I think he's in Argentina, or was he? In, yeah, in Argentina. Yes. And uh, this happened in around 1980. Uh, so we're going to talk about this case and uh, the, the movie that this director filmmaker made about it, which is really interesting because uh, he really didn't intend. He wanted to make a UFO movie and we talk about how it all came together and this became the film and, and it ended up being about one guy and why it's about this one person. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then you can hear Martin's interview with Jacques Vallée. Jacques Vallée, we talk about him in this interview, but he uh, interviewed this UFO witness back in the day and you will be interviewing him. Correct, Martin? Yeah, I did last week. Oh, last week no. was Jacques. I thought that was this week. Yeah. I got mixed up. That's no. right. Erling Strand, you have this week. That's right. So how did your interview go with Jacques? Oh, it was great, as always. You know, I mean, you you know him. You know him much better than I do. And uh, it's always uh, fun uh, to talk to him. He's just such an interesting man. And, mm -hmm. uh, no, it was great. I, I really, really liked the movie. <laughs> I saw the movie. I'm sure you did, too, the screener. No, I haven't seen it yet. Oops. I did not. There okay. was a kind of a mix-up. I was supposed to get a link to the screener, and I never did, uh, unfortunately. But... Um, Right, at right. least that I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I never did. There's a trailer out there I got. And then um, MJ Benias did an article about the film saying it's the best UFO film he's ever seen. MJ, of course, has been a guest on both of our shows and uh, is also now writing for Vice, which is nice. And mm. uh, yeah, he said this was the best film he ever saw. That's kind of interesting, huh? Wow. I will tell you, it is, it's a movie... It's not about an event. It's about a person mm -hmm. and, and people. And um, I think it's very heartwarming. I, you know, it's a lot of it's in Spanish with uh, subtitles, but don't let that, uh, you know, temper your uh, want to, to watch it. It's really, really good. And um, it's, a, it's basically a story about uh, a person that uh, basically was tortured by what happened. And then, um, you know, there's, uh, I mean, you're gonna have a great interview um, with uh, Alan. He'll explain a lot of it with you. But uh, uh, it made me think that much more of uh, Jacques and of uh, Alan as well, uh, just because they actually really made a difference in someone's life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the film, this show will actually air most like yeah tomorrow, the twenty second, the twenty second. Mm -hmm. So and that is the same day that the film is launched, and you all will be able to go. Uh, actually, to Apple iTunes, I know it'll be on, and possibly some other outlets, uh, and watch that uh, today for many of you. So that'll be great. So it sounds great. I had a great time talking to Alan, the director, and uh, so I'm really excited for all of you to hear that, and uh, it sounds like a great film. And Alan's you know, uh, story of how this all came about is really, really interesting, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of fun. So that is right. the interview coming up in just a bit. However, before that, 
we need to talk about some UFO news. So what you got going down, buddy? Well, I guess it's, uh, you know, it's been out there the most of this one particular story, and that's the Army is teaming up um, with uh, TTSA. And basically the headlines here on uh, Task and Purpose uh, website is the Army is teaming up with former Blink-182 singer Tom DeLonge's UFO group to research all the weird things. That's uh, that's the title. And, you know, basically what it is is uh, they are teaming up the Army. And, I mean, this is pretty amazing that they're teaming up together. And it's not, you know, the first thing, you know, I saw out there was, oh, it's all about money and all this stuff. It has really nothing to do with government funding or anything like that. Um, the contract is actually uh, uh, John Greenwald of Black Vault got the contract. Um, that's up. It's actually at the bottom of this article. Um, you can read right through it. I did skim through it. Uh, pretty, a very, very intense contract, by the way. Um, you'll see where there's, uh, you know, expenses by each party is, uh, you know, to bear on their own, basically. Um, so it's not like a money type of thing. However, the uh, the army is interested in basically getting information that will help them, mostly in ground, uh, you know, vehicles, uh, whether it's uh, some camouflage or you know some type of, uh, you know, uh, quantum, uh, you know, features of physics and stuff like that that they they may uncover through searching. And uh, exploring this meta material that uh, TTSA supposedly has in their possession, whether they own it or not, I don't know. Um, but, you know, the Army wants to be able to understand the information they get. And what does TTSA get out of there? They get the use of um, a top level lab, uh, which is, you know, uh, very extremely expensive to put together if they were planning on doing any type of work on their own. Uh, it does. Uh, it does name uh, Luis Elizondo as a director of the uh, uh, collaboration for the security and special programs. Um, it also one thing I thought was pretty interesting in the contract is that neither party can go public with something unless they have permission in writing uh, 30 days ahead of time. So um, you know I have also seen some. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it negative or whatever, but uh, some, you know, comments out there saying, oh, you know, it's just another thing they're going to keep secret from us. And, you know, why is is TTSA keeping, you know, everything uh, so secretive? So I just uh, anyway, I, I thought it's really uh, very interesting because they're, you know, looking at different things like beamed energy propulsion, metamaterial, of course, the, the samples. And the analysis, uh, quantum communication, which is uh, very interesting, active camouflage uh, and directed uh, photon projection, stuff like that. Um, all great, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, one thing you can't deny is uh, uh, TTSA has really certainly changed um, changed a lot in this field, really. And I know there's um, some jealousy out there. and. And all that, but uh, I think it's really interesting. They're moving the ball, whichever way uh, the ball is supposed to move. I guess we have no idea where this is going to go, but it's all interesting t to me. What do you think about it all? Yeah, I think it's exciting. I mean, it's the army now, kind of uh, coming into the scene here 
We haven't really heard from the army in this whole affair. And uh, by this whole affair, I guess I would mean that, uh, well, the announcement uh, in December 2017, I, you know, Luis Elizondo worked for uh, the Pentagon investigating UFOs. And actually, that announcement came from To The Stars originally in October of 2017. However, uh, you know, we've heard from uh, different public affairs offices, especially from the DOD, and we've heard from the Navy. And the Navy's response has been uh, mostly positive, largely positive throughout this whole thing. You know, uh, some amazing claims that the Navy's come out with, such as take that they take UFOs seriously, that they created some new guidelines around UFO reporting, they confirmed, you know, those Navy videos that, uh, that the New York Times and Two the Stars had released were actual Navy videos and that they were truly unknowns, that they did not know what those things in the videos were, uh, which by definition, you know, it means that they're really UFOs. So, uh, the Navy's mm-hmm. been very active. When the Navy announced that they were going to create their new guidelines, they mentioned the Air Force, which was kind of strange. They said the Navy and the Air Force take this matter seriously. Not sure why they mentioned the Air Mm. Force. I don't think the Air Force uh, particularly would appreciate the Navy speaking for them. I wouldn't think. I know, (laughs) you know, there can be kind of some uh, competition there between the two services so i'm not it, we don't know what the navy thinks or the air force thinks of all this and we haven't known until now what the army thinks and the army uh surprisingly and uh very happily you know i think for all of us is replying in a very positive way by partnering up with to the stars to help examine some of this material that to the stars that acquire has acquired that could potentially be mysterious or something, um, something odd, something possibly, of course, the goal here is something, um, that is not man-made, that is potentially made by people who have a better understanding of physics and, and advanced technologies. You know, a, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Army's helping them look for aliens. I don't know that that's really an accurate headline necessarily. I mean, really, uh, they're investigating UFOs, but as To The Stars has said, and many others have said, that doesn't mean aliens. That means investigating a mystery to whatever end that may be. Um, and I think that would be more accurate. And hopefully, you know, the headlines will begin to be framed more correctly in the future. Uh, but... Yeah, the email from To The Stars announcing this partnership was very vague and Mm -hmm. uh, which left room for, you know, people like John Greenwald to do some more work and actually get the agreement and post that, which is interesting, and uh, get a little bit of a response. Uh, The response they got from the Army was very positive that, you know, we want to work together and figure this out. And um, so that's really cool. And then the... um, the document itself, like you said, is very thorough. I think you made a, make a really important observation, and there's probably more to be made in there as we kind of scour over this. The 30 days that, you know, there's an agreement that there will be no announcement by either side for 30 days. Now, some may criticize, you know, this is going to allow the government or the army to suppress information. However, 
at at the same time, it offers protections for both sides. Uh, you know, right. two of the stars can then monitor what the army may or may not say to make sure it's accurate and they agree with the accuracy and vice versa. Because if the army is going to kind of put their credibility on the line, they don't want, you know, Tom or somebody coming out and saying, oh, you know, this is uh, alien technology from mm-hmm. this or that without you know, the army signing off on that and then that and agreeing with it. So the exciting part is, is if there is an agreement uh, for a convert or for a, a communication about any of this, then it will have been signed off by both parties, which will make it much more uh, substantial. So for instance, yes. if they do find it's anomalous, if they say, you know, there are some properties that are very mysterious about this and here are those uh, mysterious properties, then you have not just to the stars going out and saying this, you have the army sign off saying, yeah, we agree with this analysis by to the stars, which is very significant. It, it Out the gate, mm-hmm. it gives it way more credibility than if it was just to the stars on their own. That's yeah, that's so true. It really does. I mean, you'd really pay attention if any branch of the military, you know, would say something, you know, outstanding when it comes to this topic, something, you know, uh, new or, I mean, we're going to listen, that's for sure. Right. So. And the other thing is that, you know, if people are concerned about, you know, secrecy and working with the government, well, then, you know, that's that's what To The Stars does. Lou mm-hmm. Elizondo has always talked about, and, you know, they've reiterated over the years and, and months that they are seeking cooperative partnership with government agencies and entities. And they've repeated that over and over again, and that they think it's important to keep those lines of communications and to work together. And that perspective has obviously gained them a, a lot of, uh, respect and credibility inside of the military because they've been able to work with the Navy. And I think that has really greased the wheels for the Navy to be moving forward uh, and to make these announcements uh, that have been made that are groundbreaking, historic in this field. So these partnerships and, and working with the military and the government has been very fruitful and very positive for for this whole field. So for them to be continuing mm-hmm. to do that is is important, and they're going to continue to do that. That's what they do. So if we have, you know, kind of the the government partnering with Two to Stars to now officially do UFO investigations or any other sort of, you know, paranormal sort of uh, research, that's pretty important. And that's what Two to Stars is going to seek to do. So uh, if anybody's surprised by that, I'm not sure why they should be and they shouldn't be surprised by this sort of thing going forward. And personally, I don't think it's a bad thing. If, if people think that there should be something else going on, feel free to do it. You know, many of us have been independently investigating and researching for a long time. And mm-hmm. uh, most of the groups that I work with that are very credible are certainly not opposed to working with the government. So, um, yeah, well, they, they walk kind of to the stars kind of walks a fine line here because, um, they, they're trying to do their, their thing. They don't need, they really don't need outside help from the UFO community to speak of. Um, they're, they, you know, they have kind of a publicity, mm, I don't want to say problem, but 
um, they have a, a perceived publicity problem because they're not, you know, they're not so transparent. Um, so people, anytime that happens, it's just like uh, the government. You know, I mean, there's going to be conspiracy theories uh, growing out of that in particular, just because, you know, people will say, oh, well, we're not, we don't know anything, so it must be aliens, you know, that type of thing. But I think that that is a very, uh, it's not a realistic perspective. I guess I'll put it that way. Uh, and maybe even perhaps a bit naive. Um, I, you know, I've worked with a lot of groups and organizations, of course, with MUFON, and, and that's always a complaint with every organization. They're not sharing enough. They're, they're mm. hiding information, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, full 100% transparency is pretty much impossible. And it's not wise, really. I mean, mm -hmm. in other words, that, you know, people see everything that you do. So, for instance, at Open Minds, uh, we post pretty much our product is, is something that people see by, you know, articles and podcasts. Same with you. But you and I do not share everything with our audience, especially when we're creating relationships in the background or we're talking to people or going to places or people mm. are giving us information that is off the record. Uh, especially if, mm -hmm. you know, we're developing relationships and, uh, with people who are hesitant about dealing with anybody in the UFO field, we don't share that. Heck no, because yeah. we don't want people to freak out. Or let's say somebody sends us a document. Sometimes I'll share those right off the bat, but not always. I'll try to vet them first. And, uh, because why get up, you know, just post it without vetting it. That doesn't make sense, especially if it's a waste mm -hmm. of time, then I'm just going to trash it and not waste anybody's time with it. Uh, however, if it's something I vet eventually when I do, uh, feel confident about it, I'll post it and say, Hey, this is something I've come across that I think is legit. I mean, you know, uh, so I think that those complaints are, are naive, really. I mean, and I think that it's silly to expect that sort of thing. It would hamper the work that's done in this field. And really, to be honest, I mean, people complain about everything. And a lot of the, the major complaints that they, that are out there are things that would hamper our ability to operate and do what we do. And then in that case, we wouldn't be able to operate at all. So for instance, I don't think it's such a great thing that there's no money involved with this. I think it would be fair that to the stars would be paid for this. This is like a third party contract. And you know what? Third party contractors get money. Bigelow got $22 million, which wasn't enough. He had to put in his own money. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people on the inside have said that's nothing. That's, that's a, you know, a drop in the bucket. So, uh, you know, that's the way the world works, people. You can't do anything without money. So there has to be money involved. Uh, is this a grab for cash? You can think that, but that's an absolutely ridiculous uh, perspective as well. Uh, people have blamed Bigelow of that. People have blamed me of that. Uh, I don't, I'm sure they've blamed you of that as well. Uh, and you know what? Nobody's making a bunch of money off of all of this, or at least none of the people doing research. And the reason why is because this research mm -hmm. is really expensive. That's where the money goes. Not to people's pockets. People involved with right. this, like Tom DeLong or, or Chris Mellon, 
Uh, some of these people, they have tons of money. Bigelow, they've got tons of yeah. their own money. They're spending their own money, not making money off of yeah. all of this. And um, so, I know we're just about out of time, but I just want to make this point also to your point, and mm-hmm. that is, you know, you can destroy your rep in this a field you can destroy your reputation so easily mm-hmm. and um you know you're talking about transparency and then getting something out there before it's vetted you can absolutely destroy your credibility in an instant um so i i think caution is always a good idea and then people we work with so for instance jock is very careful about his reputation rightfully so mm-hmm. you know i think we all are and uh if we were to to say something that uh we shouldn't and hurt someone else's reputation, uh, then, of mm-hmm. course, they would be very upset with us. And we don't want that either. So, you know, right. we have to be careful. We have to be smart and careful and move forward and do our best. And that's what everybody's doing. And uh, what's greatest to the stars is doing a, a, a lot of great work. And you know what? Uh, even though uh, John Greenwald criticizes me a lot, uh, you know, he's he's also helping. I mean, it was great that he got this document out. So, uh, and of course we've given him credit where credit's due, I feel. Uh, and, uh, so everybody's putting in their part, which is great. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we're going over a bit, but I do want to say something else. Uh, I do want to mention one of, uh, the listeners from last week did send in an email about last week's, uh, show where we were talking about Elizondo and, and put off in their letter to India. He was saying that, you know, India and Pakistan are not at the verge of, of an actual, you know, hostilities as much as those letters that put off in Elizondo imply. But I would argue that, um, if that is the case, and, and it's entirely possible, then the whole, I think the, the West and our, and our media may be under the wrong impression or mis, mis, uh, representing kind of the the state of things over there uh, with India and Pakistan. So maybe it's true. Maybe they are more friendly and and less apt to actually uh, fight each other. And despite some of this bellicose kind of uh, rhetoric that we hear where they kind of threaten each other and are very Mm -hmm. upset with each other. So that may be the case. And if that is the case, I want to make that clear and uh, let people know that uh, this gentleman who, who lives in India says that really it's not as scary, it's not as bad as it may seem. So perhaps we don't have to be so worried about, uh, you know, India and Pakistan accidentally, you know, shooting at each other if they spot a UFO and they think it's one or the other. Uh, mm. Regardless, even if that's true, uh, I think that, you know, I think we would all agree it still would behoove any government to research these objects. Right. I agree with you there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Martin Willis. You're very welcome, sir. You have a wonderful day. And right after this break, we'll be back with Alan Stivelman. Happy to welcome to the show for the first time, Alan Stevelman. Hello, Alan. 
Hello, Alejandro. Thanks for having me. Yep, it's our pleasure. So uh, you have high praise for your film. Uh, MJ Benias, who I've actually had on the show a couple times, wrote an article for Vice saying it is the best UFO documentary ever made. Uh, how did you feel when you saw that? Well, yesterday I read it and I was really happy. I got an interview with him. It was it was wonderful to read that he loved the movie and he could understood the essence of the content, what we, what I, uh, as a filmmaker, wanted to transmit, to share with the audience, because it's not the typical UFO documentary. It's a little bit different because our main subject of the UFO phenomenon is the human side of this phenomenon rather than to explore the different uh, theories around this mysterious UFO phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Is this your first uh, UFO documentary? Yes, it is. My mm -hmm. first one. It's my second feature documentary, but it's my first UFO documentary. Mm -hmm. And what inspired you to uh, do a UFO documentary? That's a good question. What inspired me was uh, Juan, my main character. When I met him six years ago, I fall in love in immediately of his, of his essence, of his spirit. I met a broken man that he was, it was, he was living in a truly hell. He was asking himself questions, for example, why this happened to me, why to me. The moment that I, that I met him, he started to, to tell me his story about his case and he started to cry and I didn't know what to do with that. The only thing that I knew that it was that I really want to help me help him and the only tools that I had are from our camera, I know how to tell a story and I wanted to help him. And then I started to read plenty of books about the UFO phenomenon. I spent more than four years doing research, investigating, meeting uh, others, contactees, other witnesses. And it was a really big, big challenge for me because it was my first experience dealing with someone who was uh, a witness of the unknown. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> when you first had the idea to do a UFO film, was your your plan to focus on this one witness or were you going to do more originally? Well, I have to tell you a little bit of the background story. Mm -hmm. I was writing in 2013 a script about a UFO case, an abduction case from a couple. Why I was writing this, I don't know, because I was doing automatic writing by that time. I was practicing the automatic writing, and the thing that pops up from my unconscious was this story, and then I realized that I was writing a UFO phenomenon case, hmm. and nice after 30 pages, I said, like, why am I writing this kind of stuff? Then I stopped, and I bought some books about abduction, 
the books from John Mack, and I also went to a bookstore in Argentina, and I bought a book from abduction cases from Argentina. It was written by a psychiatrist and a psychologist, Dr. Nestor Berlanda and Juan Acevedo. The title is The Strangers. And when I started to read it, I saw that one chapter was about the Juan Perez case, about this child who was with, who witnessed something that couldn't understand by that time. And then one year after, I was presenting my movie, my previous movie, Humano, in, in Rosario, a city near Buenos Aires. And while I was presenting this movie, I was having this book in my hand while I was chatting with the, with the audience. And the author of this book was in, that, in the audience, in the cinema. Hmm. And when he saw that, it, I, that I was grabbing his book, he was shocked and said to me, why do you have my book? It was sold out 15 years ago. And then I explained that I was writing a, a story about an abduction. And he told me that this is not by chance. We have to meet each other. And the next day, while we were eating pizza, he started to tell me about the Juan Perez case, that it was one of the most significant cases from his years of research. And then he showed me a small footage of Juan when he was 18 years old. He was in a UFO Congress. Uh, trying to explain what he saw on that morning. And when he started to, to speak, he broke down, he, he grabbed his, his head and said something like, you won't believe me, uh, I can't, I can't. And then I went, when I saw that footage, I was really speechless. It was my first time seeing someone who was uh, traumatized by the supernatural. And then I asked to Dr. Nestor Berlanda that I want to meet that person. I want to meet uh, Juan. And four months after, we went to the countryside and I, and I met Juan. It was one of the most profound experiences that I ever had. It was very strange for me. I felt things that were unexplainable sitting next to him and he, while he was telling me his stories, his dreams, his his case also, I was feeling I was feeling very strange. I cannot explain, but something magical happened and four years after we started to make this project happen. Wow, so it was a long time in the making long time yes because i i didn't want to make this movie uh very quickly because i wasn't prepared by that time i need to have plenty of tools to deal with someone who was so broken because we were we are talking about someone who is really fragile it's a very brave man very big but inside of him he's very fragile and i didn't want to mess up so I read plenty of books of psychology, of UFO, all the books from Dr. Jacques Vallée. I wanted to have all the tools necessary to make this film 
in the best way as possible, the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that clip that you talked about where uh, the young Juan Perez is talking to that UFO group uh, is actually in the Vice article by MJ Benayas, just so people know uh, who want to go see that clip. But um, I also wanted to ask you about automatic writing. So you said you were doing a book in, with automatic writing, which I think is terribly interesting. But for those who don't know what that is, can you explain at least uh, what you feel, you know, automatic writing is? Well, it's an it's a technique from this, uh, mainly used by the surrealist movement. I just it's a technique that you have to type very fast without thinking what you are writing. It's like you, the keyboard, and that's it. Let just flowing. And it's it's a technique that I used plenty of times when I don't have an idea. So I start to write and let the the words pop up from my mind. And after thirty pages. I read what I wrote, and it was uh, this story, this story of an abduction. And at that time, I, I, I was never interested in the UFO phenomenon nor abduction phenomenon. My mainly topic of research was my passion is archaeology, about the mysteries of what is below Earth, lost civilization. I spent more than 10 years investigating that field but I was really new in the UFO field so that's the the early the early story that's interesting and it sounds like it was a surprise to you and uh, that somehow your subconscious had come up with this uh, abduction story or, or had gone to that topic yeah yeah and it was like the perfect excuse to jump onto the Juan story's case mm-hmm. because this story is a fiction one and I want, I probably, I will not do it. I won't do it never. Mm-hmm. So how did you run yeah. across Juan's uh, story originally from that researcher? Um, yeah. From that researcher, from mm-hmm. Dr. Nestor Berlanda. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one in, who wrote the book. And what did you feel, like, when you decided, I'm going to focus on, on Juan's story, um, what was the, the main thing behind that decision? Um, you know, when you're doing a film, for example, you want to present some information to an audience, and uh, it sounds like you felt you could accomplish what you, you wanted to present through examination of this one case. Well, first... Uh, I had the idea to make a documentary about new theories about the UFO mm. phenomenon, trying to show, uh, to expose Jacques Ballet's theories, for example, try to, yeah, to like separate from conspiracies or other kind of theories. But then when, when I start the, the project, I realized that Juan was really, really suffering from this, from that encounter, from the consequences that he had. So I had two choices. 
One option was to make a documentary about the UFO phenomenon and take Juan Spare's case as an excuse, and that's it. And the other option was to try to help these men and to focus on the cons on the psychological consequences that witnesses uh, usually have when they meet to the to the unknown to or, or when they have a supernatural encounter. So I took the the wisdom of Carl Jung when he wrote the his book about the UFO, and we mainly focus on the human aspect of the UFO phenomenon. And that's it. When you when you see the movie, you will see that it's a movie with open questions and no straight answer. We don't want to fall into into an error saying like the UFO phenomenon is blah, blah, blah. We just wanted to, to show a story to portray the soul of a broken man. It's a journey about a healing because you will see a transformation along the movie. You will see at the beginning a broken man, very narrow, close, with with plenty of fears. And, and at the end, you will see a, a new man, a reborn one. Mm -hmm. And what do you uh, ascribe to his, uh, you know, healing, I guess, uh, his becoming a new man? Was it just being able to talk about it, help him? Well, that's an, an excellent question because I don't know. We were just like guessing while we were doing this movie. Just It was more like a play for us, but very serious. Um, the, the whole process took us uh, an entire year. It was not done. The movie was not done in four weeks of shooting, and that's it. And that's it. And in the movie, the, it was involved plenty of people. For example, I went to the jungle in Paraguay. I met three important shamans there from the Guarani tribe, one of the most important cult, uh, indigenous cultures from South America. Also, uh, the movie features Dr. Jacques Ballet, uh, a psychiatrist also. So I think... All of these persons were important on the healing of, of Juan because he was asking himself, like, why to me? Why this happened to me? And by that time, his entire life, he thought that he was the only one who had an encounter with the unknown. He never knew that there are plenty of cases around the world. Remember that Juan lived alone all of his life in the farm, in the countryside, as a re like a, a refugee. He never met someone who had a similar encounter. He doesn't use cell phone, for example. So he's a, a really simple man that it was, he was dealing with some, something that was quite big for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could... And, uh, and, uh, and, go ahead. No, just as uh, I want to add uh, something that you said, that I think one of the most profound things was to listen, what mm. you said earlier. The, I understood with, the, with this movie 
the powerful that just to listen has is it's tremendous what happened when we just listen to other person that is being it, it's it's having a, a terrible experience and you will see in the movie that one of the scenes from the beginning of the movie uh, I, I asked Juan what um, what happens when he dreams what, what are those premonition dreams and he started to cry and I just listen and Juan cries and cries and that's a and it was really powerful for me because first I didn't know what to do while he was crying because I I wasn't trained on dealing with traumatized people and also traumatized with something that it's really unexplainable. So, but then after I realized that I just I just have to to sit next to him and listen and that's the beauty of this of this movie it's a movie about silence about listening about the just to when you when you see it you will see that the whole transformation of one is not being shown it's it's like in uh in a lower level it goes very very invisible but you will see the transformation in his face in his smile, in his eyes also. Uh, it's interesting you say that because, uh, you know, uh, what I find interesting is really, I, I think you mentioned this earlier, it seemed like he was, uh, uh, you know, suffering from the effects of a post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and yeah. the number one uh, method of helping people with that is talk therapy. So simply talking just like you're describing. So um, it seems like, you know, that helped him as well. Totally. Without knowing it, we were dealing with, with a post-traumatic uh, person. And, and, the re and the outcome was, was, for me, it was, was terrific. We didn't know that we are going to have that result, but, but we... we we have it, and it was, for me as a filmmaker, it was a big gift. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting that, you know, just the process of making your film uh, had a, a major effect on the subject of the film. Yeah, indeed, and also in his family, because his mother, for example, confessed to Juan uh, when the movie was released in his hometown in the cinema, after she saw the movie, she confessed to Juan that she was also uh, a victim of uh, a contact. She really? Was also, yeah. Yeah, she was also an abductee. It was very powerful that moment because Juan felt that he was not alone and there is a connection between his ancestry and the UFO phenomenon and also his sisters, his brother, all his siblings told to Juan, like, I'm so sorry, brother, now I can understand you because he only received mockery from them, from his uh, friends, from his co-workers. That's why he 
step away and went into different haciendas all of his life, like running mm. away from something that he couldn't understand. He wasn't be. It was really difficult for him to explain what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. So maybe explain what happened to Juan and when. Well, it was on September 6, 1978. It was six o'clock in the morning. Uh, Juan uh, went to outside to find the herd of horses to start the work on the farm. He rides, he rides his horse Comet, and while he was riding, three uh, lights were dancing above his head. It were three frenetic lights. His horse Comet went a little bit mad. He was he got scared. Then Juan went back to his home and said to his father, like father, father, there are three lights above my head in the sky. They are very strange. And his father ignored him and said, like, I told you that you have to find the herd. We, we are running late. Please uh, go back. Don't bother me. His father was very strict, very severe man, a very severe man. And then when Juan was in the field again, riding his horse, he, he found out that there was a big fog in front of him in the, hor in the horizon. And then his, his horse was a little bit scared to cross it. So he, he fall off the, not, not, he, he got off the horse. He crossed it by, by walking. And then after that, he saw a big white rounded object that was landed on, on the earth, on the ground. And this white object, in, if you see the original report, Juan describes this object as a tractor or a house for workers uh, of the farm. He never mentioned the word uh, spacecraft or ship or UFO. He thought that he was seeing a tractor from the farm. So... A door, a door opened and a white being, a tall one, like three meters, invited him to, to come by, to, to enter that object. And then a ladder uh, like goes down and Juan tied the horse to the, to the ladder. He climbs up the ladder and he enters this very big space and what he saw was he saw in his uh, left side a small being one meter and a half approximately he was cutting meat on a table on a transparent table and in the right side there it was the this tall being looking into some monitors while he was like typing into like some keyboard, but it, this keyboard uh, didn't have buttons. It was something more like 
like a tablet or an iPad, for, for example. And then another good detail was that in front of Juan, there was a big wall, a transparent wall, something similar to a electromagnetic field that didn't allow Juan to cross by to the other side, to the side of these entities or beings. But the small one could could cross from one side to the other thanks to the wheels, because instead of legs, he has, uh, instead of, of, yeah, of foot, he has wheels, and instead of arms, he had uh, scissors in, in his hand, because he was cutting this, this kind of meat. And then this, the door started to close, and Juan was very afraid, because his, his father told him to get this hurt, and he was running very late. Then he climbs down the, la the ladder and realized that his horse was injured. So Juan started to cry, to say, oh no, my horse, my horse, my father is going to kill me. And, and then he asked for help and the tall being tried to help him. And I have to stop the, the narrative here because if you read the original report, something happened very different from what we did in the regression. You will see in the movie that we practiced a regression with Juan in order to see if there is some lost memories. Mm. I'm going to pause you right here because we're going to take a short break. Uh, and then we will be back very shortly with uh, Alan Stevelman. And you're listening to Open Mind GFO Radio. Uh, those of you listening on uh, the radio will hear some commercials. The rest will hear a short musical interlude. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Open Mind GFO Radio. This is Alejandro Rojas, your host, and I am here with filmmaker Alan Stevelman, and we're talking about his latest film here, um, Witness to uh, uh, of Another World, and uh, it's about the story of Juan Perez, who had a, an incredible encounter in 1978, and uh, you were just going over what happened to uh, one back then. And you said that, uh, when he got off the craft and, and he you found his horse was hurt, he asked for help. And at this point, you said you stopped because, uh, in the film, you did a regression to find some hidden memories. Yeah. yeah. And we found out that there was some hidden memories. I don't want to, to say it because it's a, it will be a spoiler. Mm -hmm. It's really important that you see what happened because it was very emotional, very strange. Uh, something very weird happened after that because the this tall being started to squeeze his uh, the right arm of Juan very very hard, and after that Juan had a vision. Thanks to that, a vision or a travel. We don't know what happened, but what he saw was so tremendous that Juan started to cry and cry and cry and we had to stop the regression 
because uh, by that time there, it was like two hours of progression. It was very intense, and so we stopped it. And and it for me personally was really it was quite moving what happened because it has a direct relation with. Uh, one of my inner questions from the beginning of this project, I ask myself if there is a connection between the afterlife and the UFO phenomenon. And what happened during that vision has to be with that question. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming, and we don't have to get into detail here, but I'm assuming then uh, that the, at least one's experience or what was discovered in regression um, indicated there is some sort of connection. Yeah, indeed, but uh, it's the the door is open, but mm -hmm. it's it's what he saw was something very uh, abstract, but for me it was really powerful because it had to be with my my personal question. Mm -hmm. So I I remember I went I went outside and I started to to walk around the the farm, asking myself some question because the regression was very 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 strange. Hmm. Now, when this occurred to Juan, uh, at some point, I guess, it uh, people found out about it. The media found out about it, uh, and even Jacques Vallée found out about it yeah. and interviewed Juan. Is that correct? Is that correct? Two years after the encounter, uh, Jacques Vallée met this young Juan, he was 14 by that time, and it was a quite popular case in the 80s, but then the years passed by and no one, it's, it, I think the, the old researchers uh, know, knows very well this case, but it's not one of the most uh, significant cases in mm -hmm. the in Argentina, for example, but it was very, it was quite popular by that time. And how did it become popular? Did um, Juan talk to UFO researchers or how did they find out about it? How did? Yeah, well, I, I remember that it was, there was a bar in his hometown. Uh, it, the name of the bar was the UFO bar because in, in that in that place, Venado Tuerto, there were some researchers, and one one of them went to the this bar, one of these researchers, and and met the father of Juan, and he talked to him and said that my my son, uh, this happened to uh, a week ago. This happened to my son. It, he was in the farm. He was doing the, his his daily work, and he saw a ship, a two beings, and that's why he he was popular in in Argentina. Thanks to that bar, thanks to that researcher, and he spread the word. And two years after, ballet came, and thirty years after, I was doing this this movie also. Mm -hmm. So when you were doing your film, was it your idea to get Jacques involved? Did you call him up and, and ask if he would be interested? Oh, it, not at the beginning of the project because it was something that I 
I, I, wa I wasn't dreaming because it was really far for me, the, the idea of having Jack. But four months or six months after the, 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 the beginning of the project, I wrote him a letter explaining him that I was doing this movie, that uh, Juan was involved and Juan was not feeling good after the encounter. He was, he got traumatized. He started to have premonition dreams that they, it was really hard for him to deal with it. And I wanted to make an interview in San Francisco. That was my main request for him. I knew that he was very low profile, that he doesn't like to be on shows or in TV or even movies. But I gave that shot, hoping that he will say yes. And I, I was really keen on that. And one month later, I received an email saying that uh, he was very sad, knowing that Juan was not feeling good, that he regret that Juan couldn't integrate that experience, your experience in a good way. And then he's, he said something like that I can go there, that I, he was inviting me to, to go to San Francisco. And then I said, yeah, <laughs> it's happening. And, and then when I, when I finished the letter, he said something similar, something like, I don't want to interrupt your project, nor bother you, but I have an idea. What do you think if I go to Argentina to stay with you, to stay with, with your crew, and also help Juan, because I want to be there. And then I realized that the whole movie was going to change, and six months after, we had the visit of, of Jack, and he prepared himself because he studied for six months Spanish because he wanted to speak with one without intermediates. So wow. for me, it was something that detail was very important for me. Mm -hmm. That's pretty incredible. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> He's a pretty interesting guy. He's a pretty incredible guy. And you're right. You know, he doesn't participate in a lot of projects. So that was pretty special that he, um, you know, remembered Juan and wanted to participate in your project. Yeah, and it was terrific seeing both of, of them walking on the farm, talking to each other in Spanish, without people, without cameras. Juan asking to Jack's uh, details from his case, from his mother, from his family, because Juan was a little bit afraid from them. Uh, it was something beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. So Juan had, this affected, this event affected his entire life, right? Um, is this why he kind of remained a hermit most of his life? Um, ca can you ask me the question in a different way so I can understand it? Uh-huh. Uh, the UFO encounter had a great effect on Juan's life, uh, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. And it, it caused him to kind of yeah, hide sorry. from people, I guess, right? And live remotely yeah. on his own? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
it wasn't the UFO phenomenon that obligated to, to hide himself. It was the mockery that he received. Oh. The, all the... Yeah, because everyone told him that he was lying, he's a drunk, uh, uh, plenty of things that that he, he had to deal with the people. He was very, and he was, he's really sensitive. So every time he said to me, like, I'm not lying. I don't know how to lie. I just tell, I'm just telling you what I saw. I'm just telling, telling you what, what, what is happening to me. Because one of the most terrible uh, things that Juan was having was these dreams. Because after the contact, he started to have these premonition dreams. And the way that he described them was, it's like a, re it's like a dream, but it's more real than our reality and he knows that he's he's dreaming uh, this kind of stuff because if he dreams if he go to sleep and he dreams uh, on his right side of the body he will enter this kind of of dreams of more more the way he described us was like it's more real than our reality how strange. And were they uh, scary dreams or were they uh, some positive? Uh, well, pr maybe there are some positive dreams, but the only ones that I that I heard from, from him was very like nightmares or mm. most most of them were accidents, death, uh, and I mainly of um, most of them happened, and the bad part that is that Juan wasn't able to stop them, to stop from happening. So he didn't want to have the final dream. So in the middle of this real dream, he stopped uh, the dream by moving during the night to the other side or trying to to get off the bed. He didn't want to have the final of this dream because it was some. It was a big responsible, a responsibility for him. Mm. And how has this journey of making this film and getting to know Juan? How has that changed your perspective? So when you went into this at the very beginning, thinking you know you're going to make a, a, yeah. a piece on UFOs, uh, has your perception of the phenomena changed uh, over this process? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that this movie, it was a challenge for me because I, w it's, I wanted to believe. That's the main reason. I, mm -hmm. want, I wanted to believe that there is something out there. Uh, and I think the, the whole process changed me completely, I, I, I have to say that, um, but the main aspect was that my perception of the reality changed, because now I know that we don't know nothing about the reality, 
we don't know nothing about consciousness. And for sure, now I understand that there is a close relationship between uh, the consciousness and the UFO phenomenon. And I'm still trying to dig what is behind this phenomenon. I don't know what is what what is happening on the on the skies or if there is aliens out there or we are dealing with another dimension. I don't know that. And and probably I don't care. I just I just want to stay focused on what happens with the conscious of the witnesses that have this kind of contact. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that you are convinced that uh, uh, Juan had a real experience. I cannot say real experience because I don't know what happened to Juan either. I don't know if he fall off the horse and get a vision of... I can say for sure that the only real thing of Juan was his uh, illness, was his sadness, and was his trauma. That's the only hardcore evidence that we have from this uh, story. And that's true. That's the true part. We have a lonely uh, gaucho, a person that was suffering for more than four decades. That's the only thing that is true. Mm-hmm. And I guess, do you have a sense of, you know, any sort of, I guess, at least your view of the purpose? Like, what is, with the experiences like one had or the changes he's gone through, is there a sort of yeah. purpose you feel um, to all yeah. of that? Uh-huh. Well, uh I have to answer uh, as a yes, mm -hmm. and using the words from the shamans in the shamanic world, most of these cases happens because it is an initiation, a shamanic initiation, like a call. Uh, and someone, there is people that like take that call, and others don't listen, and his their, their life tries to, to get a normal life. And Juan, I think he, he got that call, but four decades after. But the, 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 the telephones kept ringing the whole, all of these, these decades. But four mm -hmm. decades after, he got the call, and we, we went there to join, to join him. Yeah, that's... Well, a couple more questions, because we're starting to run out of time. But where do you live? Uh, where are you from? I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Mm -hmm. Now I'm living in Seville, in Spain, because my girlfriend is from from this city. So for a couple for a couple of months, I will be here. Uh, prom I'm taking this place as a base for promoting my film. Also taking those these kind of interviews, because the movie will be released next week. So I'm hoping to to get plenty of good reviews. Mm -hmm. And are there cultural differences in uh, the reactions to watching the film? So, for instance, when you've shown the film in Argentina oh. or Spain or the United States, uh, do people react differently depending yeah. on where they're from? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, thanks for asking me that question because uh, yes, I had to say yes. People in Europe are more skeptical to these kind of things. In Argentina or South America, they are very the reaction are pure emotional. They got very uh, how do I say? It's like they feel a connection with Juan, empathy. That's the word, mm. and 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 they feel a real a good connection. But what is happening now in U.S. It's quite impressive for me because I was very scared about the reaction that it's going to happen in the U.S. audience because it's a different movie. It's a movie that it's half Spanish, half English. Uh, it's not the typical movie about UFOs. We don't show no, uh, no kind of evidence, uh, no hoax, nothing. But the reaction so far from the, from the researchers, from the press, it's quite amazing because they are catching the real message behind that, the movie. The, the questions are, are, are very hard to answer, like yours. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge for me because in the, in the U.S., I, beside any, kind, any country, you are um, capturing the real essence of the movie, the, the, the good message behind this content. So I'm quite excited to, to share the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it, it looks beautiful. Um, you know, it's shot very, very well. Uh, it, and, you know, I, I would highly recommend people go to MJ's uh, Vice article and watch the clip that uh, you were allowed them to add to that article. But uh, it's, a, it's an exciting project, and congratulations on finishing the film and getting uh, Jacques on the film. But... Uh, it will probably launch either the day of or soon after this interview is uh, published. So uh, people will be able to watch it as well. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is extremely interesting uh, and, uh, yeah, really fascinating uh, situation, how it all came about. And the film looks great. So I wish you uh, the best of luck. Thank you, Alejandro. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. And what's the best way for people to watch the film? Well, it will be available on multiple platforms such as iTunes, Amazon, Vimeo On Demand. But if people want to get more information, they can enter our web website, witnessofanotherworld.com. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much to Alan Stevelman for being on the show. His movie sounds really great, so you've definitely got to check that out. It starts today, because I think uh, I'll probably be posting this show on Tuesday the 22nd, which is the uh, when the movie is premiering. So definitely people got to check this out. Um, it sounds like it's a great film, and uh, even if you don't find it to be the best UFO film out there like uh, MJ did, 
I, I think you'll probably find it at least entertaining. The trailer looks great. You'll see a link to that in the show notes for this show. Um, also, if you look at the MJ article, you'll see an exclusive clip. But otherwise, go take a look at the movie. It looks great. It looks beautiful. It looks like it's, it's very well shot. So a lot of fun. This will be great. Uh, and Alan was a lot of fun. What an interesting story and an interesting way he came across this story. And it's always great to hear from these people who write books or who get involved in this field in some way or other and to find out how and why they got involved because their stories are all so different, you know. A lot of us come into this this arena or get interested in this topic for so many various reasons. And uh, I just find it fascinating when we talk to people and find out, you know, what it is that piqued their interest and why they felt that this was an interesting or credible, you know, topic to tackle uh, for their piece. So very exciting. So check this out. Otherwise, I do want to thank Martin Willis for joining us with the news. Uh, be sure to check out his interview with the Jacques Vallée last week that was about this very topic, this movie. And then also he's interviewing Erling Strand uh, this week, and he's the guy from Norway who uh, has looked into the Hesdalen lights. I've had him on the show before as well, but he's a great guy. So Martin's got a lot of good stuff going on there. Also for the UFO Congress, some people have been asking about the DVDs. You can now buy them at the UFO Congress store, which is store.ufocongress.com. Or you can just go to ufocongress.com and click the link for the store. You'll find several links for the store on the front page. Also, those Videos are getting posted on Video On Demand, so you'll find a link to that on the front page of the UFOcongress.com as well. You can also go to video.ufocongress.com, or uh, you can also go to the social media for UFO Congress, or even my social media, and you'll find links to these videos. So more and more are going up all the time. I know the Kevin Day interview and the Calvin Parker interviews are up there. Those uh, are some of the videos that people absolutely loved. They were a big hit at the conference. And I can't remember what other videos are up right now there uh, on the video portal, but uh, there are more up there and there's more going up literally every day right now. So you can check those out. And even uh, if you're, you know, waiting for those 2019s for a very small monthly fee, you can subscribe to the channel and have access to over a hundred videos of lectures from past UFO Congress events as well. So lots of great stuff up there. Otherwise, check out OpenMinds.tv for the latest news and for some of the, uh, and the OpenMind social media f- to find some of these links to some of the news stories that Martin and I talked about. So a lot of interesting news going on out there. And finally, thank you to not just Martin, but also to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music, to Systematics for the bumper music, and of course, as always, to you, the listener, for listening once again. I will have another show next week, so join us next week for another great interview. I don't even have it set up, so I'm not 100% sure who I'll have on the show, but I have a lot of great ideas uh, and a lot of great people to talk to, so there's going to be some good stuff coming up. Trust me. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week, and until next time, adios muchachos.